welcome to today's podcast, Virtual Primary Care in 2021. This program is brought to you by the Healthcare Administrators Association, HCAA. For over 40 years, HCAA has supported third-party administrators and the self-insured employer industry through educational opportunities from leading industry experts. For information on joining HCAA, please visit our website, www.hcaa.org. I'm your host, Ramesh Kumar, and I'm on a mission to bring value to the healthcare industry through improved transparency. And my goal from this episode is to give you one aha moment that you can implement in your business, whether you are a TPA, broker, or an employer. In my day job, I run a company called Zaki Point Health that helps self-insured employers and their employees find meaning from their healthcare data. Please like or share this podcast on your favorite podcasting tool so we can bring together a community of like-minded professionals. Before we begin, I would like to bring you a word from our sponsors, DataPath. DataPath is a pioneer in the benefits administration industry. We have been creating innovative solutions for nearly four decades and our senior leadership team has over 100 years of benefits experience. DataPath's cloud-based summit platform empowers third-party administrators to rise above their competition. It was the first solution developed as a single, fully cohesive platform for CDH accounts, HSAs, COBRA, premium billing, benefit debit cards, and mobile app. In addition, DataPath is committed to providing superior customer support, along with a client rewards program an award-winning employee engagement program. Learn more at dpath.com. Today, I'm super excited. We have Paul Kolaski, General Manager of the TPA business at Teladoc, to talk about virtual primary care in 2021. On this podcast, you are going to get these questions answered. What is telemedicine is going to look like in 2021? What is virtual care? And how does it relate to telemedicine? And as COVID is now behind us, is telemedicine as a value proposition sustainable or market saturated or not? And is telemedicine an affordable treatment alternative for behavioral health? Let's dive into it and enjoy. Hi, Paul. Great to have you on our podcast today. Good afternoon, Ramesh. Nice to be here. Appreciate your having me. Well, it's a real pleasure, you know, uh, let me quickly introduce you to our audience and also talk a little bit about the topic. But one of the things that really has fascinated me, Paul, about your work is you've seen the whole telemedicine space growing from nothing to where we are today. So today's topic is all about not just telemedicine, but uh, virtual primary care, where that is going. And so um, the reason I picked you, Paul, is you've got an extensive experience in sales and not only just sales, but in healthcare particular way back in uh, from your Oxford Health Plan days, where you've been kind of working since since that time at Blue Cross Blue Shields of the world to Empire Blue, Blue Cross Blue Shield and Avalon Healthcare. But you actually were there since 2010 at Teladoc, early days of telemedicine. In fact, people didn't even know what telemedicine is. So really excited to hear more about that journey. And your role has kind of evolved all the way from national accounts, mid-market, public and labor and broker sales kind of segments. So you've seen the different segments and right now you are responsible for growth and direction for your TPA and reseller vertical. So 
really excited to get your thoughts. So thank you very much for taking the time. You're absolutely right. I uh, I got to get here at Teladoc back in 2010 when uh, people were still saying Telehu and Telewhat and can you do this stuff legally? So I uh, have had a uh, remarkable journey. We were 30 employees when I got here and we're now 4,000 in 15 or 20 countries. So that's a pretty substantial journey in a 10-year period. That's phenomenal. Maybe tell me a little bit more about that journey. Paint a picture for our audience. What has kind of evolved from 2010 to now? So, you know, I would say it's a great question. When I got here, I mean, Teladoc had four million in revenues, around maybe a half a million members on the system. And I came in as part of a turnaround crew. Uh, Jason Gorovic, our current CEO and who has been for about 11 years now, he came in and raised new capital in 2010. And I was intrigued by Teladoc at my former company, Avalon Healthcare, which unfortunately became a consequence of Obamacare. And, uh, and I remember Teladoc being this really neat, interesting idea that I'd never seen before. And I was really fascinated by it. And Turned out that Jason was the CEO, and I happened to have known him from my Empire Blue Cross days. Reached out to him after you know, five years or so and uh, began a conversation that led to me becoming one of our initial salespeople and shortly thereafter running a, a number of our sales verticals. But then it's just been year after year, just we, we started hunting elephants first. So shooting darts at the Fortune 500 set, and then we started moving into the carrier set. We started expanding into the sub 1000 employer market. And we catered to resellers who were basically wholesalers that packaged us with other stuff and sold it on a, on a retail basis and, and tied into that vertical was the, the whole TPA market. So yeah, over time, we haven't been here this long. I, I've, I've, I've rode through us doing 10 acquisitions and now a, a massive merger with Lavongo. So mm-hmm. as you can imagine, the shape and color and dynamic of the company really morphed and evolved over time. And it became, uh, we just became bigger and bigger and bigger over time. And Telemedicine caught on, and then it got larger and larger over time, and then it became, well, this is really the starting point, but our, our goal and our aim is to, to change the face of healthcare. And if you listen to our CEO, Jason Gorovic, it's been a, a longstanding vision that we were going to disrupt healthcare as we knew it. And it's it's an easy analogy. When you, when you think of every other industry out there, Healthcare is the last one to move here. Mm-hmm. And yes. Especially now in a pandemic, I can't get my kids away from these screens and the amount of time they spend on it. I imagine you have the same issues. But when you think about it, we've been banking online forever. We, and when you think about it, our music has moved online from records. Everything's on your iPhone. And healthcare was not. And as you start thinking, and I've been here for... 10 years now going on 11. So a couple more years, it's a whole generation. And when I got here, the millennials, the, the oldest ones were only 30 at the time. Now they're 40. We're going on 41. Gen Z was, was still in grade school and they grew up digitally. And there's a tectonic shift in healthcare. Millennials are now the largest 
force in the work field. And mm -hmm. that notion of going across town to your primary care doctor, they're not going to ascribe to that. They aren't. And they want their healthcare, like everything else, to be digital. And now that they are the predominant force and Gen Z right behind them, the healthcare landscape has been fundamentally altered. COVID probably hit the fast forward button by five years or so. When I look back past 10 years, it's been a large blur. But when I also look back, a lot has happened in that amount of time too. So tell me maybe, you know, obviously the vision is kind of fairly exciting. It's just going to be virtual, whether it's virtual primary care, we'll talk more about that. What is the first half of 2021 is going to look like for telemedicine or whether you call it virtual primary care now as well? What do you see? So, you know, the term telemedicine, I'd say, was sort of blinders on central theme to what we did for a significant portion of the time that I've been here. But in the last couple of years, it's really shifted. And you hear the term virtual care more and more. And I, and I really think this, I think there's a lot of companies, you know, what does quote unquote virtual care mean? And I think on many levels, it's still being defined. And I think there's a lot of actors in the market that are trying to put their stamp on what the definition of virtual care is, including Teladoc Health. So I, I would say it's a significant goal of ours to affect what virtual care actually means. So when I think of the first half of 21 and, and moving beyond, the blinders on telemedicine is for your sniffles and sneezes and allergies and flu and whatnot is really, that's sort of our first chapter. And when I look at where we're at and where we're moving, it's moving from the notion that we fill in a gap for a short period of time and, and plug in a hole. You've got the flu, you don't want to go see your doctor, it's nighttime, whatever, but we're not here to replace your physician and we're not, we're just here to basically be episodic. Mm -hmm. The nature of what we do is moving very rapidly from episodic to longitudinal. And that's whether we're talking basic primary care, mental health, which has become an explosive force in what we've done in the last year or two or three even, to where we're really providing significant guidance and, and navigation to the most chronic and complex situations. So, you know, data and big data is key. And I, I think at this point, well, I don't think this whole, we're an episodic fill in a gap, one and done, in and out is changing very dramatically. Our shift in this first half of the year and beyond is really virtual primary care or primary 360, as we're calling it, is becoming larger and larger. I do see, you know, when I look at the first half of this year, what the Livongo merger means to the combined organization will be a central theme, but virtual primary care, I'd say this is our first breakout year for it. And it makes so much sense. And particularly when you start realizing, again, the millennials are 40, they're moving into comorbidity zones. They're going to want to be able to pick this up and navigate. And 
And virtual primary care doesn't mean you just do your, your whole health care experiences on an iPhone. You can avoid bricks and mortar completely. There's always the pinprick. There's always the, uh, you need to see your doctor. They need to listen to things. We can replace a bit of that, but that's not going to go away. Not to mention people are still going to need surgeries and there's going to be emergency room and everything like that. It, it's not a, the bricks and mortar world goes away. It's, that they combine and they work collectively. And I think as we get larger, you'll see the connections between ourselves and our physicians and your own personal doctor or doctors are going to increase. And then you're gonna get a much more holistic picture of, of healthcare where your records are all in one place and, and where you transfer, if you're moving from physician A to B, it's not, well, everything I did yesterday is now lost and we start over. It is truly moving to a longitudinal view on care. So maybe let me press a little bit more, Paul, on this. So obviously in the long term, it'll be great coordinated care between your virtual primary care or your bricks and mortar kind of specialists or whoever else you might be seeing. In 2021, where do you see things? What kind of initiatives you are putting in place where this world is going to start to look like to go from the sniffles and flu to some form of virtual primary care? And what are some of the employer customers doing with you in 2021? Sure. So, I mean, again, virtual primary, we're full force into the market now. Last year was our, I'd say our launch year, and it was piloting the virtual primary concept. So our own employees became our first guinea pigs, if you will. If we're, if we're going to roll it out, we might as well have our own folks use it first so we can you know, make a mistake or two and, and, and correct before we go larger. And then like so many things, you start at the larger end of the market. So we began really rolling out in earnest with our major carrier partners and then really moving into the, you know, the large end of the market, the Fortune 500 set. But you'll start seeing that moving into the other verticals, the TPA set, our resellers, you'll start moving that into the lower end of the market, the employer is under 1,000. But again, it is our first I'd say full year of rollout where we're out of pilot and we're moving into full-blown market penetration. So I think I'll be able to answer that question a lot more effectively about a year from now when we really have a lot of data beyond what we've had happen and call it the last six months. And again, I, I think when you look at the way we approach virtual primary it's, it's very different than we've got you on the phone for 15 minutes for an episodic telemedicine visit. And it starts almost with uh, similar to a concierge level of medicine where that initial intake with your virtual primary care physician on our end, it's a pretty intensive interview. It's 30 minutes, it's 60 minutes, depending on what your health history is and how much there is, but there's a full blown understanding the person, understanding what their health conditions are, who they're seeking care from, you know, surgeries they've had, um, chronic conditions, et cetera, and, and really getting, and then by the way, going on a goose chase and, and hunting down all those previous records that have existed so that there's a data trove that we now have in a centralized place. But then you get to move into 
a lot more of a coaching aspect where there's reminders and triggers and, and you know, the, the whole concept of, of whole person care is moving from treating things that have happened to how do we get in front of it? So when you think about, and I'll, I'll kind of hit uh, and, and pull our Lavongo merger into the equation, you know, Lavongo started with diabetes management, moved into a number of other related services like pre-diabetes, weight management, hypertension, and, and even mental health that deals with the stigma of, of all of those things. So when you think about it, if you're pre-diabetic, there's really only two directions you're going. You're going into full-blown diabetes or you're going backwards into a non-pre-diabetic status. So the whole notion of coaching and, and staying in front of people, encouraging them to be better stewards of their own healthcare is really what we're looking at moving the needle. How do you improve the health of a population? Get them healthier or work with them coach them, help them navigate to take better care of themselves, which ultimately leads to them having a, you know, a better life. And, and along the way, by the way, it, it reduces claim costs, which we all know is, is a vital component. As you bring up the claim cost costs in general, what is the value proposition in terms of, is it more affordable aside from the convenience aspects? Does it have, do you have any numbers you can share about the differential or impact? So I could take us on an ROI journey that we might want to do another 30 or 60 minutes because we can break it down point by point. But I'll, I'll start with a couple of points to just kind of move um, through a, a number of the different aspects. And, and forgive me on the Lavongo side, it's a newer merger and I'm still getting my arms around a lot of the data and the, the ROI story, but it's compelling. So if I go with just general medical, um, telemedicine, episodic, where we started, we've yeah. had this documented for a number of years and we've landed at a value that had stayed in the market of about $472. It was as basically if you had a telemedicine visit, it replaces a face-to-face -face visit and the unit cost for measurement was 472. We've recently revised that. It's down a bit to the maybe mid 460s. So 468, I think, is our new current number. I might be off by one or two dollars. But what that reflects is a couple of things is your telemedicine visit isn't just replacing your physician visit the PCP. It's also replacing your urgent care visits in many respects, which are significantly more expensive than PCP visit, but it's also replacing a number of ER visits. And we all know that there's ER abuse. People show up at the ER for sniffles and sneezes and stomach aches and headaches and things like that. The most expensive place you can treat a cold is in an emergency room. So we landed at 472. You know, is that an absolute? No. I would say if you've got a population that has an ER spend well under control and people are going to the ER when they're emergent, the number's probably down in the 250, 300 range. If you've got another population that they're using the ER as a PCP extender, that number could be seven or $800. So right then and there, when you think about it, even if I just replace the PCP, right? I'm taking 50 or $55, that's our price in the market, our standard is 55 now, but a number of our larger groups are moving in that direction over time. 
if I replace a repriced claim through a major carrier that's going to be $150, and I replace it with $50 at the lowest end of the spectrum, doesn't take long to realize if you do that over and over again, you, you start to wring out savings. And then when you start replacing the urgent care facility in the emergency room, and I'll just leave it out there, we estimate that about a third of the ambulatory visits that are out there in the market could be replaced by an episodic telemedicine encounter. And when I look at our overall numbers of consults, mostly GenMed last year worldwide, we did over 10 million last year. And okay. we're probably maybe 5% penetrated into the ambulatory market for telemedicine. So as you see more and more shift away from bricks and mortar where you don't need to be there, when five becomes 10, becomes 15% replacement, you can see that the, the dollars continue to add up. If I move over to mental health, we know getting a mental health practitioner is challenging. We know finding ones that are in network can be challenging, and we know they're expensive. So our unit costs for mental health are going to range anywhere from about $200 for your first visit with a psychiatrist down to about $100 for subsequent or $95 for a, a psychologist or a therapist. So mental health is actually longitudinal. This is not we're having one visit with a therapist. This is you know, the average person is going to see that therapist four or five times in a given year, and that number's creeping up. Um, so when you look at that, that's a much different unit cost replacing. I mean, it's not uncommon to have a two, three, four hundred dollar mental health visit in a bricks and mortar setting. Not to mention, there's a huge component which we we don't get probably as much credit as due within the consulting communities. But when you think about the impact of mental health on absenteeism and presenteeism, much different than the episodic general medical. So when you've got somebody at work who's half there because their head is a little, is foggy from mental health conditions, are they really at full speed? Absolutely not. So how do you measure that? It's a lot more squishy, if you will, but there is absolutely a value to the, the soft dollar, the absenteeism, presenteeism, not to mention the trip back and forth, you know, every other week or so, or how often to the to the therapist's office that you don't have to go anywhere if it's a telemedicine visit. Um, yeah, I'll just add to that, Paul. In fact, earlier on, I was on a, on a review call ourselves, uh, looking at mental health, uh, behavioral health category as a whole, sure. and for that cohort, it's not just the presenteeism or absenteeism or the direct mental health related costs. It's also comorbidities and they're not managing those comorbidities well and so suddenly you start to see the difference between a diabetic who has some mental health condition the costs are much more versus absolutely and and we'll be out in very short order uh this year with a, a much more upgraded view on roi across the entire spectrum i mean if i touch on a couple of other components the far end of our spectrum is our expert medical services. And I'd say the most significant component of that is an expert medical opinion or a second opinion. And when you think about that, misdiagnosis in this country is, is a very, very real problem. And 
when you uncover somebody that was diagnosed with a stage four cancer only to find out that it was not accurate, how you treat that person once you've discovered that flaw is very different and it's very, it creates a much more significant savings. So we estimate that when we perform a second opinion, and I, I do want to qualify that three out of four, four out of five times, we find that the diagnosis was accurate or nearly accurate and the treatment protocol was spot on or pretty close. So in a lot of instances, there's not a, a unit savings, but it's that one out of every four or five where we find a very real misdiagnosis that the savings can be 40 or 50,000 on average. And then if you blend it across the entire spectrum, you're probably saving nearly $10,000 every time a second opinion is run when you blend the averages. And now with Livongo and the diabetes story, getting ahead of that diabetes curve, which we know is a very prevalent condition. And when you start moving into pre-diabetes, that, that percentage of your population goes up significantly moving those people into a much more controlled situation for their diabetic condition or moving them out of pre-diabetes back to a more stable position, there's very, very real dollars in there. And again, we could do an hour on, on ROI, but there's, there's a compelling ROI story across the entire spectrum of services we're providing. This sounds uh, very compelling. I mean, convenience, ROI, to some of the kind of broader picture, you know, you're able to tackle those misdiagnoses. Let's move the topic to, you talked a little bit about the data, the flow of the data as you are moving into this virtual primary care world. How does the data flow, whether it's medical claims or it's EMR data, and what are some of the challenges that you are foreseeing right now as you kind of move on to this virtual primary care and specialist and behavioral health? Sure. So first, it's it's really exciting when I think of the recent Livongo merger. They were very, very, I should say are, not were, very, very heavily into data science. And they've a title within the Livongo family that we didn't have was a chief data scientist. So we're very much now moving down the continuum of AI to do predictive modeling and things like that. It's, it's very exciting. So, you know, to get back to your specific question, the data issue has always been a challenge. We, we know that if you move from one primary care to another physician and they're not in the same healthcare system, you know, what happens to your records becomes, uh, it, it's often, it's, it's lost in translation. So I, I would say, you know, we do our best if I go with general episodic telemedicine to make the data that happens on our end available to the external universe. So if you're that member that had a telemedicine consult, we're going to ask you every time, do you want to share this data with your primary care physician? Now we can't force that hand. So we're going to suggest if you'd like to have that happen, let us know how to get in touch with that person, whether it's a, you know, a secure fax or however we want to route it and we'll route it to that person. Um, you know, more people should probably take us up on that that do. But as we start moving into the virtual primary realm, and, and be, again, it's, it's out there now, but it's our first full real year of moving that direction. Mm-hmm. Just the component on the lab side where we're now plugged in with the major lab players in the market, and then being able to tap into a longitudinal data trove of lab data. So 
when I think of simple things like cholesterol, how many people in this country are living with high cholesterol, right? Well, mm-hmm. when you look at the ability to manage cholesterol from a telemedicine perspective, the big thing that's been missing has been the data. So if we were to treat prior to having the data on the lab side, if we were to try to treat cholesterol with a one and done approach, well, if I got a single lab value, I might be abnormally high or low on that particular day, depending on what happened that day. So if I'm making judgments on medications or things like that, based on one value, I might be prescribing the wrong amount of medication because of that value. However, if I now have a look back and see the last three, four or five years of your values, well, I can see that either this reading is right in line with your pattern over time, or guess what? I got a blip here. So the data, again, I've said is king. One little instance of having the real data longitudinally allows you to now operate with one more condition that you couldn't have done without the data. It's the same thing when we do expert medical opinion and expert medical services. The first thing we do is an interview with the person needing care or needing guidance to basically interview them and find out as much as they can possibly remember about their health history. Go back as far as you can go, five years, 10 years, and then we go on a goose chase and collect all the records. So you asked what's one of the challenges? That is a seriously labor-intensive role that we play in getting those facilities and those practitioners to, one, find the time, scan the data, zip it over to us, and so that we can use it is time-consuming. It's costly. And so I'd say that was one of the the challenges in, in how do we make the healthcare world more efficient If there was, and I know you're going to hit on this, you know, a universal standard or everybody played on the same structure, it would create efficiencies in the market. Uh, We're not there yet. So we're hunting for the data as we need to, to grab it. As we work with our healthcare partners, our carriers, our TPAs, uh, we are increasingly becoming more of a two-way street for data what they have ports over to us and what we have ports back so that the, the story of that person's healthcare becomes a lot more, I'd say, tangible. And the more that big data becomes uh, more universally accepted and transferable in the healthcare industry, I think that will yield a significant amount of efficiency over time. So are you seeing that you'll be able to communicate with the PCPs as well for an individual patient. So you remove the redundancy of care or all of that. So you're kind of starting to see that now, or is that something it requires the data flow to happen in the future? So it's happening now. And again, I'm not gonna say it's fully out there now, again, with virtual primary being in its first real rollout year, you know, again, in a virtual primary structure, we're not trying to suggest you don't need your primary care physician anymore. We're here to replace that. We're now saying we're going to take a much more important role in the continuum, but that primary, there's an assumption that you might actually like that person and want to continue working with that person. So 
it is now becoming more we are doing more outreach to that bricks and mortar physician community we're trying to have that equation be both sides where we're sharing data back and forth it is in its newer iteration but over time you'll see that become more and more normative and i think you also will see a bit of a generational shift as well and then again back to our millennials they're doctors now. So the oldest millennials have been in practice for, call it, almost a decade at this point, if, if not a little bit longer. And again, they're the generation that has fully embraced technology and the need to. And if you look at the older generation of physicians that are at or near retirement age, they've been a little more resistant to it because that's not how they did things throughout their entire career. So there still is a resistance. You'll see some of that exist for a few years, I'd say at a minimum, but I'd say time is the thing that will start to erase that resistance as more and more of the younger crowd comes up into the field and more of the older crowd ages out and moves into retirement. It will become far more digitized over time. Maybe kind of shifting gears, I know you talked a little bit about your focus on TPAs and and some of the kind of services that you're working with, some of the carriers now. Where do TPAs can leverage all of this? If you can give your thoughts on that, who are the right kind of TPAs to work with? What can they do? What are the first steps they can take in order to leverage this virtual primary care world or whatever the first version of that is? You know, it's interesting. I think TPAs come in all shapes and sizes, right? They come from very small shops that are family owned and you have a small book of business of 20, 30,000 lives in their book to massive TPAs that have millions, right? So one is they play with data. They play with claims data. So just in that sense alone, you move the claims data back and forth. Just from having worked and been in the carrier side myself to having played in the TPA space for a number of years as well, TPAs have an edge in that they can be more nimble. And when you think about it, the the largest TPAs are smaller than some of the smaller carriers are around the same size. So the ability to make decisions and work with and to do so faster, I think gives them an edge in that they can be quicker to market if they embrace a technology. And and we are seeing, you know, when I think of, again, Livongo and now virtual primary care, Livongo had just gotten into the TPA market last year, maybe a little bit earlier than that, but the TPA market is a newer market to Livongo, but quickly what we're finding is just the receptiveness has been overwhelming. So we're doing a lot of presentations to the TPA set for Livongo right now. There aren't any of them that are going, oh, well, you know what? We have our own diabetic solution. We don't need to listen. They're very receptive. And when we talk about virtual primary care being one of the key initiatives for 2021, their eyes are absolutely lighting up. So, you know, some are, you know, a little resistant. They've been around a long time. They've done things their old ways and they're a little reluctant to change. But by and large, I think just the fact that they're 
smaller to mid-sized compared to the larger carriers, they are able to make decisions more quickly and they can act more nimbly. And they're often, uh, the data sharing, there, there's not as many hurdles to get through with respect to that either. So it's exciting. Time. What, what are, if, if there's a TP out there who sees the value in this, what are the first steps they could take? What are the first set of things they need to be ready in order to leverage the use of virtual primary care? So what can they spend to leverage it? I think it's just, it's candidly a, a shift to saying that we're looking at primary care from a whole different lens. We're disrupting that relationship that says everything is in a brick and mortar box and this is where you get your primary care. And I think at the end of the day, it's an understanding on their end that if you move into virtual primary care and you understand the dynamics of the ROI and the health coaching aspects and that, by the way, we're, we're going soup to nuts from your sniffles and sneezes to virtual primary is, is a gateway to navigating chronic care and complex care. So when you realize that when you can start navigating this much more holistically and, and move into almost the concept of a virtual center of excellence, at the end of the drill, having all of this data and ability, and by the way, very seasoned experts on our end working to help drive down that cost. At the end of the drill, TPAs exist as a primary function to bring healthcare costs down. When you think about how many employers have gone to self-insured over the recent years, smaller and smaller employers are going self-funded to break away from the fully insured structure. And by the way, it doesn't matter how well my own population, how risky or risk averse that population is, it's fully insured. So you're in a pool and it doesn't matter. So self-insured is existing on many levels to break that cycle. So when you realize that the next wave is virtual primary care and a, and a, and a whole person approach to care and not just treating conditions that exist, but getting ahead of them and getting that person or that population to a healthier state, it absolutely impacts claim costs. And so if you're bringing that claim pick down, that TPA has a much greater value proposition. Mm-hmm. So in some ways, uh, you mentioned once they understand the ROI story, they understand that it's beyond just sniffles and flu that can kind of support you know, primary care as a whole they can start to have this conversation with their employer customers and start to you know, leverage their data. Absolutely. And you hit on something on ROI, as you were saying that it, it uh, had me chuckle in the back of my head. There's a uh, CFO from a, a, a particular TPA who I, I'm not going to mention right now, just for the sake of it. But that person said we were talking about the value prop of our EMS or expert medical services suite. And you know, when you think about it, the EMS story, the value prop, there's a very human element to it. It's very emotional. And I can tell you, there's a person on my own sales team whose 17-year-old son was misdiagnosed with a malignant sarcoma in his shoulder, right? Misdiagnosed twice, right? And we stepped in and actually uncovered that he didn't have a sarcoma. He had a benign tumor in his shoulder. It was growing. They had to get it out. 
but a very different level of invasion, et cetera, for treating a sarcoma versus a tumor. So there's your feel-good aspect. I can tell you the emotional roller coaster the person on my team went through. And then, by the way, when to learn his son did not have cancer, it yeah. was yeah. overwhelming. But the CMO uh, basically said, that's fantastic, and I understand that. But you only get so much mileage out of your emotional story here. What's the ROI? Because if there's no ROI, this isn't going to work for us. So emotions get you in the door. Save us money. Save our clients money. That's where this needs to land. It has to be a one-two punch. Yeah, yeah. No, this is great. I'm sure there's a good takeaway here for listeners and the TPAs in particular and the benefit consultants where we are seeing a very strong value proposition. You're seeing a big change, sea of change. This year, any kind of last thoughts that you like to share to our audience, any insights as we are going through this pandemic in the midst of it? Share your so thoughts. So I will, you mentioned pandemic and, and I know one of, uh, when we were talking previously, is the pandemic a, a flash in the pan? Is telemedicine, as people have seen, our stock has performed quite well this year. And, you know, are you a COVID darling? And then when the pandemic is over, well, you had your, your day in sun. Um, I would argue absolutely not. This pandemic, I would say, moved the needle on telemedicine by five years, no doubt. And for the most part, your bricks and mortar physicians were not doing telemedicine before COVID at all. And then they had to overnight and they weren't even doing it on real systems. They were doing it on Zoom calls like this, which is counterprotected from a HIPAA perspective. And you know this better than I do. So one is they're not going backwards because while many physicians will say there are certain things that it just can't replace from an in-person perspective. And we would agree with that. But at the same time, they're also saying, there's an efficiency here that we didn't see until this happened. And now that you're here, we're here, we're not going to go backwards. And then secondly, when we look at our own volume that has happened because of COVID, not to mention, general, I mean, general med is one thing, our mental health consult volume has gone through the roof, you know, a, a 600% factor over the year before. And there is a COVID effect of that. People are locked down and it creates tension, anxiety, stress, et cetera. But it's also opened that door to people realizing that they can get to mental health and very good coverage very easily. So anyone who's had a gen med episodic encounter for the most part comes back because they realized it was very easy and convenient and it got the job done. And as episodic telemed just basically became a gateway to a much wider ecosystem. COVID fueled it, but it's not a one and done. It absolutely pushed the notion of virtual care and whole person care and the ability to use big data to help create better outcomes, improve people's lives, reduce costs. I think we're just getting started. Well, to the listeners, I'd like to just wrap it up. It sounds like the, the big really takeaway is Look, the world is going to change. It's actually now a whole person care and it could be done really well virtually. And so might as well kind of embrace it, make sure the data is available easily, make sure you can provide that proactive kind of care. And you talked a little bit about the coaching element. So there's a lot to come and TPAs and carriers and 
employers who are willing to kind of jump in, they can kind of get a lot of value for, for their members. Absolutely. Well, this is great. Thank you so much, Paul, for, for your time. I appreciate it. Absolutely, Ramesh. And enjoy the chat and uh, look forward to continuing to work with you. And I would like to thank our DataPath sponsor of this show. Please join us again for another podcast in the series brought to you by HCAA's Voices of Self-Funding. Please like and share so we can build a community of like-minded people. And tell us about topics that we should bring to you next. Please watch your email for updates on upcoming guests. I'm your host, Ramesh Kumar of Zaki Point Health.